Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. I uh, have been coaching my, um, both my son and my daughter's basketball teams, and uh, so that makes for a busy uh, couple of months here during this, this time frame. Typically, uh, in the past, I've been coaching just my son's team, and then uh, last year he took a break, and so we, we had a, a little season where we didn't uh, play ball, and then he said, Dad, I want to jump back in, and so we, we said, cool, and originally the plan was is that he would um, just jump on a team, and uh, somebody else would coach, and then I was going to coach uh, Ainsley, and because uh, this is her first time ever playing organized basketball, and so they, uh, if, can you call it that when they're this young? Is it organized? But uh, but. But anyhow, so the first time playing, so I was, I was signed up to coach our team, and I, we, we said, hey, we'll let Caleb, you know, he's heard enough from his dad, uh, let him be coached by someone else. And so that was the original plan, and then sure enough, the league was like, hey, we've got a ton of teams, and we need a few more, um, uh, you know, parents. And so I, I was like, all right, fine, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And so I've enjoyed doing both. Um, the, the difference, though, between a league and a group of kids that are um, having their very first experience with the sport and a league where the kids are going through puberty and they've already been playing for eight years, um, the difference in coaching those two <laughs> is fairly stark. Uh, and so for the, for the 14-year-old kids, it's basically like, here's a basketball, and then you stand there and you, you yell, but they don't care. They're just playing basketball, and then, uh, they, then you, you sub people in and out. And that's essentially your job when you're coaching that age group um, as we are. And then the other age group, the younger age group with Ainsley's, uh, it's been fun because when they came in, uh, during their evaluation time, when they have them all do all these drills, they say, hey, take this clipboard and you write the skill level of each player. And so you're like, okay. And so I'm watching and I, I found it hard. We had to get to five was like the best player in the building. And um, I'm an honest evaluator. <laughs> so I, I was... I was finding it hard to get above two for any of the kids. <laughs> I was like, no, they don't know how to shoot. They don't know how to dribble. They don't know how to pass. And so uh, we get these kids together. And what's been really fun is they give us a few weeks of practice with the kids before you start the games. And I've always enjoyed this part of it. I've always enjoyed taking a kid that knows zero and giving them some drills they can do and some fun they can do at home. And then all of a sudden, you watch this kid develop right in front of you. And uh, so we've had two games now, and uh, we had our, our second uh, game yesterday. And what was, what's been so much fun about watching um, Ainsley's age group, one, my son is my assistant coach, and I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I handed him the, the whiteboard in a timeout yesterday, and I said, you tell him what to do. <laughs> and so it's been fun having our family together that way. But the other part has been um, Ainsley. Initially, she was so strong. When she would go in for a layup, she was throwing that ball off the backboard and it would fly over her head. And I'm like, Ainsley, you're you're, you're too strong. And so I I did that for about a week. And then I realized I got another way to fix this. So instead of trying to take a strong kid and make her not as strong, I said, Ainsley, do you think you could shoot it from really far away? And would you know in two games, my daughter is sitting right now uh, three for five in three-point shots made 
for a nine and 10 year old age group. <laughs> so for nine and 10 year olds, yesterday we were finished, we were towards the end of the game and I hope none of the other parents are here, but we demolished this team and it was like 15 to two or something or three and uh, Ainsley's coming up with the ball. Now she's not even at half court and the other coaches guard her. She can shoot from there. <laughs> The fun in all of that has been the transition to watch a person go from not knowing anything to watch a team look like a team. When we've been talking in this series about sinners and saints, we talked about the fact that God has a tendency to use um, the, the most beat up and broken and sinful types of people. And we use the Apostle Paul, when he was, he's named Saul, as this example at the beginning. And we talked about how except for God's grace intervening, except for God and His love and His great mercy, except for all of that, like Saul in and of himself was a really, really, really bad dude. But God's grace comes in and His salvation comes in and, and He goes from sinner to saint. Now when you go from sinner to saint, just so you know, I don't know your background and maybe what types of church... I'm not talking about the Pope has said, okay, we're declaring you a saint. I'm talking about the Scripture says that when we are in Christ, we become the saints. The saints go marching in. And so when, when we become saints, we are not becoming saints because of our own personal holiness has made us saints. We become saints because of the holiness of Jesus has been given to us, has been coveted to us through His blood. And so the sanctification, the, 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 the saint himself or herself, the saint is experiencing in this life sanctification, an ongoing transition, ongoing process, whereby you notice, you see in and of yourself something that is still sinner-ish, and you say, I've got to get rid of that. That is not at what a saint does. That is not who a saint is. And so sanctification is the ongoing process. From salvation, the moment when you receive Christ um, as a propitiation for your sin, the moment you receive Christ to save you from your sin, then we move into sanctification and ultimately a justification before God. But in this sanctification period, we're moving from sinner to saint on a daily basis, sometimes a minute-by-minute -minute basis. You're in this transition. You're going from the kid that can't dribble a ball to the kid that can shoot threes. And it's in that season of transition that I want to talk to you about. And you might say, you know, pastor, I have received sainthood when it comes to receiving Christ as my Lord and Savior. But, but I don't know how to, to live as a saint. And so Romans chapter 12 is the verse I want to take you to, 12.1. And here's what the Word of God says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In a moment, I'm going to break that passage, that part down. Do not be conformed. Everybody say conformed to this world, but be transformed. Say transformed. By the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
The beginning of this passage says, I appeal to you, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What is the, 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 the appeal being made for the behavior being changed? You see, many times when people come into the faith, when people become Christians, when people, you, you trust Christ as your Savior, you go home and you're like, hey, I had this life-changing experience and I, and, I, and I met Jesus and Jesus saved me from my sins and, and, and I just want to get under God's grace and love for me. And, and so when we do that, we say, man, I, I am a, a Christian now. And when we do that, we say, hey, because I am a Christian now, I'm made right with God. And you got friends and they'll look at you or family and look at you and they'll be like, I don't know. I don't know. I think you need to behave yourself because you don't really look very much like a Christian should look. And I, and I saw you the other day. You lost your cool the other day. And that doesn't very much look like what a Christian should. So I think you need to get your act together. I think you need to behave better. And we come into the church and we look around and if we're honest, we don't spend enough time getting to know the people down the aisle or up the aisle from us or behind us or front of us. We kind of come in and if we're not careful, we, we, we are not the, the hands and the feet. We think that our entire faith relies on us as a body and so we become very me-centric when it comes to Christian faith. But reality is the Bible says that we're all living stones stacked on top of each other to be built up. The Bible says that we're all part of one big body and somebody in here is the eye and some of the, some of you in here are the the hands some of you in here are the feet some of you in here are the ears and you all have gifts and talents and abilities but we live as though we are individual full in ourselves and sometimes full of ourselves and, and, and so as a result what becomes the motive for our behavior? We say, well, I, I don't want people to think that I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, a good person. I, I don't want my, my parents to look down. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And so therefore, I'll behave. But what is the appeal here? What is the appeal for everything in Romans chapter 12? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Or in another translation, it says, in view of God's mercy. In light of God's mercy. My appeal here is not based on, I think you, and you need to please me. My appeal is not, I'm going to judge you, and you need to respond to my condemnation of you. The appeal is not, I'm going to wave my finger, and wag my finger, and you better get in. That's not the appeal. The appeal to your behavioral change, the, the appeal to your sinner transforming to sainthood in terms of what people can see happening on the outside that has already happened on the inside, the appeal is not in view of people liking me, in view of others affirming me, in view of what the church says, in view of what this person... No, 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 that's not the appeal. What is the appeal? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, what? By the mercies of God. So before we get to everything else, we have to ask, what is the motivation? The motivation of saints are anchored to the mercies of God. The motivation, why I do what I do, is not based on what is my dad going to think? What is my mom going to think? 
What will those church people think? That's not the motivation that is going to be helpful for you the rest of your life to get through this life of sanctification before you meet God. That's not going to be the motivation that anchors it. Now, can you get by with that? Sure, lots of you have. You've gone your whole life trying to make sure somebody thinks well of you, trying to make sure somebody is impressed by you. You've gone your whole life trying to have these these motivations be anchored in something other than the mercy of God. But he says, you know what? In view of God's mercy... It's in light of God's mercy toward you. But you know why we don't often meditate on God's mercy? Did you realize meditating on mercy is simultaneously meditating on my shortcomings? The reason I don't want to spend a lot of time meditating on the idea that my life needs to be lived in light of his mercy towards me, is that I have to simultaneously say, why did I need mercy? And so it's so much easier if I find my motivation for being a good Christian in something other than the mercy of God over my life. Because it's in me understanding that God's mercy was necessary for me. It's in that moment. It's in that moment that I have to say, I am not there yet. I have failed another person. I let my anger get in the way. I let my jealousy, I let my pride, I did something that is not very saintly. But I'm still his child. I'm still surrounded by his love. I'm still saved by the grace of God. But what motivates me to change? It's not you. It's the mercy of God. It's God, even in spite of myself. Your mercy overwhelms me. And we all know, those of you that have been around, you understand grace and mercy. Grace is unmerited favor. But think of mercy as as compassion over condemnation. When, when, When someone has the right, when a judge has the right to throw away the key and the judge looks at you and says, I'm going to grant you mercy. I have within my power and you have done the deed and I could right now justifiably throw away the key on your life. You could be condemned. Because you are indeed a sinner. And God is just and God is holy and God is right and righteous. And you are owed in a very right way that condemnation. However, comma, God, that's a Mr. Rayism. He always tells me that when he's buttering me up to hit me with something. He's like, however, comma. So, But however, comma is, yes, you're owed this condemnation, but God, who is rich in mercy, he lavishes mercy out over you. And it's that motive. It's not the motive of I want you to like me. It's the motive of God already loves me. 
And because he loves me in spite of myself, I don't want to live the way that I used to live. I don't want to continue down the walk of my sinful behavior. I don't want that anymore because it's in view of God's mercy towards me. And so he says, I beseech you, brothers, or I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercy of God. This is what's the appeal. The appeal is the mercy of God over your life. The appeal is not legalism. The appeal is not guilt. The appeal is not shame or condemnation. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The appeal is made to the saint is based on the goodness of God. It's because God is so good. Let's turn away from some things. Let, let's, let's lay that sin down. Let's walk away from a, a different type of behavior we've been living. Because God is so good. Not because of what anybody else says, thinks, or, or dreams, or gossips about you. But simply because God is so good to you. So maybe your prayer today. As you talk about transitioning from a, a person who can't really dribble the spiritual basketball. To trying to become a saint that can put it through the three-point line. As you're praying about how to live this life of a Christian and live it well and, and live, it, uh, live it in light of God's mercy, maybe you would pray, Lord, remind me of the times I've received your mercy. Many Christians get really good at playing Christian, but they're really, really, really bad at remembering what it's like to receive mercy. In fact, a lot of Christians have little to no mercy to give. And I find that repulsive. Because we are the people that have been given God's great mercy. And indeed, above mercy, He showers, the Scripture says, grace upon grace. And yet we can be the very people that are quick to judge, condemn, write off. And we do it all under the name of being righteous before God. And I've got news, my friends. That is not the example that's been given to you. And that is not what saves us. What saves us is His mercy. And if we're indeed saved by His mercy, maybe we will live under that and understand every day that, you know, I'm also a recipient of God's mercy. I'm not just a proclaimer of His justice. Lord, remind me of the ultimate mercy provided by salvation in Christ. Lord, remind me, remind me, remind me might be our prayer. But it's in light of mercy. It's in view of God's mercy that then the rest of this comes along. To present, everybody say present. Amen. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So it's in light of the mercy. It's in light of God's goodness. When we're moving from sinner to saint, now the move is, is in one sense finished and in one sense not finished until we see God in heaven. But in one sense, it's finished. We, we, we are, are, are saved when we have received Jesus Christ for the remission of our sin. But on the other sense, we're, we're being saved until the day when we finally see him face to face and this body is no more. 
And so the sanctification period that at which I speak, it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So in view of God's mercy, the movements of saints, we talked about the motives, but how about the actions? The movements of saints are marked by a surrender to God's agenda. The comings and goings, the doings, the movement of a saint is marked by a surrender to God's agenda. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Do you know that a dead sacrifice, it's going to sound elementary. You're going to be like, this guy went to school. A dead sacrifice can't get up off the altar. Just, I, know, I, know that, I know that hit. I know you're like, wow, this guy's smart. But don't be overwhelmed with my genius here. You'll miss the point. A dead sacrifice can't get up off the altar. But a living one, a living one can. But what is a sacrifice? A, a sacrifice is to be wholly consumed. When, when, when they would go and they would, they would, they would uh, lay down their sacrifices, you were leaving it there. It wasn't like you brought your sacrifice and you were like, okay, uh, the, the animal's dead, so I'm going to go ahead and just take this, this, this thigh bone here and you just walk around with a drumstick. Like I'm just going to keep some for myself. No, it was a sacrifice. It was a full, all in, everything goes. And so the sacrifice was put there out on the altar and completely consumed. But the scripture says that in view of God's mercy, you and I, we are to present ourselves. Think about this. We're to present ourselves as what? Living. Everybody say living. Living sacrifices. Meaning I could get up and get off the altar. I could walk away. But you know what? I'm a living sacrifice. I am completely consumed by the will and the motives and the, the love of God. And so what it means to be a saint in the, the, the essence of a Christian, what does it mean for you? It means that you present yourself to God and say, God, consume me. All of it, all that I am, all that I have, all that I know, all that I think, Lord, I am yours. Now listen, you're not presenting yourself to the pastor of Captivate Church and saying that same thing. You're not saying to me, oh, well, you, you get to decide. No, no, no. Don't get it twisted at all. You're not going down to your local uh, Catholic or Presbyterian congregation and presenting yourself and say, hey, go ahead, you can do whatever you... No, 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 not at all, not at all. Never, ever, ever succumb yourself to church and spiritual abuse. Don't do that. But you do need to, I need to, present myself to God. Many people inside of the Christian church, we don't have a concept of this. We've been told, hey, accept Jesus as Savior. It's like, okay, thanks. And we act like we're just carrying around Jesus as a backpack. Like I'm still me and I'm still fully me and I'm still fully my, my sinful self and I'm still fully da, 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 but I'm just tacked on Jesus. See, I got Jesus. See, look. Haven't you met people like this? It's like, man, this, look, I got Jesus. Isn't Jesus cool? Jesus is vogue. People like Jesus. Yeah, I mess up a little bit, but I got Jesus. But that's the opposite of what it means to be a saint in the house of God. It means that I present myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We're marked by a, a surrender to God's agenda. The Christian surrender is not a fine print section in a document. 
Worship in church? Check. Did I bring my Bible? Check. Attend Bible study this week? Check. Do I hang out with nice people that love Jesus? Check. Give God authority to say no to the things that I want to do? Yeah, I'm going to pass on that one. Five out of six isn't bad. But the Scripture doesn't have room for that. The Scripture says that we're to present ourselves as living sacrifices. I'm not getting up from the altar. I'm not walking away. I'm going to figure, I'm going to, I'm going to learn, I'm going to live here, I'm going to figure it out. Can you imagine if one of the nine-year-old or ten-year-old girls on my basketball team, I said, all right, girls, we're going to line up, and I want a layup line. You're going to bounce the ball three times, and you're going to take a step, and if you shoot with your right hand, lift up your right knee, do all that. Can you imagine a nine-year-old, they don't know anything about basketball, can't dribble, scored them a one out of five because I do that. Can you imagine that kid look at me and just go, I don't think so, coach. I think I got a different way to play the game. I don't know if you saw me there at tryouts, but I'm pretty good. Can you imagine? Like, you, we would lose our minds. We would just be like, what do you mean you have a different way? I observed your different way. You scored a one. You're only here because we have to take every player. How dare you present yourself as if you have a better plan? But do we not do that to God every day? Do we not? We're like, all right, Lord, someone offended me. I'm to show grace. Eh, hammer. I'm guilty of that. Um, I don't covet what other people have. But I really, really like it. Don't steal. And just cut out early for lunch. Do we not constantly say, Lord, I'm going to hop off the altar today. Go do me a little bit. And I'm going to hop back on. Now I'm a Christian. I'm going to hop back off. Now I'm a heathen. I'm going to hop back on. Now I'm a Christian. And we're kind of like, yeah, I like this living sacrifice thing, Lord. Good concept. And it's like, no, that's not a good thing. We, 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 we say, Lord, growth in you is to come to practice and, and to, to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to try that layup and pull my right knee, even though it doesn't feel normal to me. I don't feel like doing it. It doesn't, it feels awkward. But if you do it with repetition and you do it with commitment and if you do it knowing that the coach has his very best in store for you by making you run that silly drill a thousand times, by making you be stuck in traffic a thousand times, his desire is to develop patience in you. Preacher was good until he told me that I had to develop patience in traffic. I mean... That's the part where I was just out. I started looking on my app for lunch. Listen, here's the point that sums this part up. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Write this down. We are the offering. We are the offering. 
You know what? I was thinking through this this week, and I was just like, man, it is actually, because churches and pastors constantly around here, we're kind of like, hey, you should, you know, tie, tie the door and participate in Captivate Global and do all this stuff. But I really, I was thinking this week, and I was like, tithing itself is actually a ripoff in some ways. Because we convince ourselves that if I give 10% of my resources to the local church, But when you look at the theology of it, it's like, hold on, no, no, I'm a living sacrifice. That means that my tithe, that means that my offering is not in monetary amount. I can't just quantify my offering by saying, I wrote, did you write an offering this week? Oh, yeah, I gave $100. No! My offering this week is every minute of every day and every breath in my lung. My offering this week is every interaction and every discussion and every behavior. My offering this week is me. But if I have a view of God that says I can hop off, I can hop on, I can strap God on like a backpack. If my, my view of offering is I could just write a check and be done, that is actually detrimental to me. But yet, as pastors and churches, it's like pulling teeth to simply say, hey, can you give back to God and his work a fraction, a portion, one out of ten of all that he's given you? Can you do that? Please, 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 please. And study after study, year after year, it is around 5% of American Christians who actually tithe. Actually. Like, like you break it down. We made this, we tied that, and it went back out. I'm not saying who put money in. I'm saying who actually get to the one-tenth tithe sacrifice. And we've got orphans and, and kids that need adopted. And Christians are everywhere. Why? Because we don't view our lives as living sacrifices. But it's in view of God's mercy. What do we see in God's mercy? Jesus. A living example. A living sacrifice. You and I might want to pray, God, I want to give you control over my plans, my hopes, and my dreams. That might be our prayer today. God, I want to. And there's going to be two types. There's going to be some in this room that are able to pray that right now and say, God, I am doing it. God, I want to give you. And what you mean in that prayer is that legitimately, Lord, I am giving you control today. I am becoming a living sacrifice. I understand it better now. It's not in view of other people's opinions or in the church or Captivate or this, this title or that title of a, of a church. It's not any of that, Lord. It is just you. And so you and I might go, you know what, Lord? I, I am doing it today. God, I give you. Some of you, you might say, the emphasis is on the want to. I want to. But Lord, something's broken with my want to. So for some in this room, it's like, Lord, I want to give you it. It's yours. But for others in this room, it's I want to, Lord. Work on my want to. Help me to understand your mercy towards me. Help me to understand your grace towards me. Help me to understand that I am nothing without you. 
And help me change my want to. Help me in how I see you as my eternal Father who's done everything. Every breath in my lungs is a thank you. Lord, change my heart. Change my heart. It concludes with, which is your spiritual worship? The measure, talked about the, the motives, the movements. The measure of the saint is if they're living what they've been given. Your spiritual act of worship. The, 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 the spiritual worship, when you look in different verses, if you have different versions in this room, yours probably says something a little different. So I went ahead and pulled just a few up, and I, I was like, man, that's not, it doesn't, just your spiritual worship doesn't really fully encapsulate what's going on here with these words. What's going on here is more of, of a logical strength stronghold. What's going on here is your spiritual act, your, 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 what I would, what I, what I love is, let me look at this. I'll show you the word that I love the most. The most sensible way to serve God. Do you see these different options? The most sensible way to serve God, the CEV says. This is truly the way to worship, NLT, which is your spiritual service of worship, NASB. This is your true and proper worship, NIV. You know, today, I absolutely love the King James version of this word. I really do. We give the King James so much hard time and because we can't understand most of it. But look at the word there. I think for this, like we all go, ah, that makes sense in that context. Why is it true? Why is it right? Why is it the best? Well, because it's our reasonable. It's your reasonable. How is it reasonable? It's not reasonable if my faith is built on other people judging me and condemning me. It's not reasonable that I would have a, be a living sacrifice. It's not reasonable that I would change my agenda and my priorities and my hopes and my dreams. That's not reasonable if it's built on you judging me. That's not reasonable. It's not reasonable if there's a branch of the, lo of, of, of the church itself, that a whole branch, a whole denomination just puts me down. That's not reasonable enough to change. I'm not changing anything. I'm not doing that. That's not reasonable. But you know what's reasonable? What's reasonable is if I realize in the view of God's mercy for me that I'm presenting myself as a living sacrifice. Why? Because He gave His all. I have no problem giving my all. Why? Because it is reasonable. It is completely reasonable for me to worship God with my whole being because my whole being would be zero without God. So it becomes extremely reasonable for me to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Sensible, truly, spiritual, not fleshly, true, proper, reasonable, high-minded, thinking correctly. To surrender your all to the God who gave you it all is no sacrifice at all. To surrender your all to the God who gave you it all. If you really believe God's given you every blessing you have in your life, every good thing comes from Him. If you really believe that, to surrender your all to the God who gave it all is really, at the end of the day, no sacrifice at all. Why? Because I've got nothing without Him. And if I really believe that, if I really believe in the spiritual sense that nothing matters outside of eternity. At the end of the day, it's all about eternity. And if I really believe I don't even have eternity without God, then it's really reasonable for me to come to the conclusion 
that in view of God's mercy, I can be a living sacrifice and give it all back. And with that humility, with that type of love, with that type of care for God and His goodness to me, I then can take that now and operate in such a way in the world that says, you know what? God, what were you about? Well, I was about calling all men to me. All men and women everywhere on the planet, I want to come to know me as daddy. Okay, well, I want to be a part of that. God, what else do you care about? Well, I care about the orphan and the widow. Okay, God, I'll care about the orphan and the widow then. Well, what do you care about, God? Well, I care that my people who are called by name, my name would humble themselves and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways so I can, and I'll heal their land. I, that's what I care about. I care about that type of thing. Well, okay, I want to turn from my wicked ways. I want to seek your face. I want to live in such a way that, that you bring blessing on, on the land. Like, and, and so all of a sudden, the scriptures make all new sense. Because it's in view of God's mercy. It's not in view of Pastor Tolly. Not in view of Captivate Church. Not in view of a denomination. Not in view of, of CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. It's not in view of any of that. It's in view of God's mercy towards me. I have no problem being a living sacrifice. So then look at verse 2. So, so, all of that is a setup. And then in verse 2, do not be conformed. Everybody say conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Can you say transformed? How do you become transformed? By the renewing or the renewal of your mind. Change your mind. Change the way you think about stuff. Develop new patterns. New synopsis. Change the way you think about the world you're in. That by testing, meaning as the opinions, thoughts, mind change happens, you begin to test. Is this true? Is this God's will for me? Is this the right way to live? All right, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give some some so I've never tithed before. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give a tithe. I'm gonna try that out. See if it works. By testing, you may discern what is the will of God. You'll see that it works. You'll see that that's God's will. What is good and acceptable. And perfect. But you got to change your mind first. Well, I don't want to change my mind. Why would I change my mind? In view of church people? Nope. In view of religion, organized religion? Nope. In view of the pastor? Nope. How about in view of the mercy of God over your life? A difference between the sinner and the saint is whose glory they live for. A difference between the sinner and the saint is whose glory you live for. The sinner lives for self-glory. The saint lives for God's glory. I don't mean God's, I don't mean self-glory wrapped in Christian lingo. I really mean God's glory. No longer be conformed and transformed. I was thinking of this, what is, there's lots of different illustrations, but think about ice cubes for a moment. You reach in your freezer today and you grab that ice cube and you try to put it into a different ice cube tray, different shape, different size, and you'll try to force it. And you know, many of us, our opinions and views and our worldview before we meet Jesus, it, it, it gets hardened up like an ice cube. And then somebody says, well, but here's God's way. Jump in. And you're like, uh, 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 it doesn't fit. 
And so be transformed. Be transformed is more like that ice cube sitting over the new tray and you let it melt away. And now, same substance, same liquid, instead of being hardened, it settles into its new home. But what do I have to do in order to be transformed? What I have to do is just let God warm my heart. I've got to let God move in me. I've got to let God be God. I've got to let go of the hardness that I've built up. So today, my friends, my challenge, my encouragement to you is that we all live in light of eternity. We quit playing church games and we don't let our motivations be people. We let our motivations be the mercy of God. And if we'll do that, He'll move us and He'll drop us into this new tray and He'll warm us up and He'll say, Tolly, don't, don't be so harsh on other people. You know, because I, 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 I'm not harsh on you. I've, I've given you mercy. I've given you grace. I've given you Jesus. And so as a result, just, just, just help people see Jesus. And when they see Jesus and His love for, for them and His mercy over them, and when you're kind to them and you pour out your mercy, when all of that happens, Tolly, then they can transform You say, well, why have I been in church a long time and why does it seem real hard for me to transform? Because it might be the very beginning of Romans 12.1. It might be you're doing things in view of something or someone else. I'm living this Christian life in view of my grandfather. I'm living this Christian life in view of my friends and family. I'm living this Christian life to be accepted by Christian people. No, 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 no. Just do it in view of the mercy of God. That'll set the bar for everything else. But in view of the mercy of God is a reasonable thing to present yourself as a living sacrifice and say, God, work in me and through me and out into the world. And I want you to get glory. I don't need it. I am content in your salvation and your goodness over me. I don't have to elbow and push and get my way. I can just let you live and move and have your being in my life. And at the end of the day, I look forward to seeing you face to face where you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray.